Well, good morning. Well, we have uh, been in a series called Rooted, and you know, the idea is going through the summer is just stopping for a little bit and focusing on our relationship with, with God and looking at it more deeply and more intently of, of how to grow deeper in our relationship. And so this idea of Rooted is of just looking deep, kind of the disciplines of life, the disciplines of a Christian faith. And we looked last week at meditation and solitude. I think two weeks ago we looked at prayer and fasting. And as we go through it, we're going to look at the different disciplines. Today we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to kind of divide the Bible up into two different sections. We're, next week, uh, Aaron's going to talk about one portion of it. Uh, but the Bible for the, this today is for the head, and next week we're going to talk about the Bible for the heart. And so we're going to look at both of those. And, you know, both of those are needed because a lot of times you, you get real knowledgeable, you know a bunch of stuff, and then you kind of get puffed up. And you, it's kind of dogma, and it becomes law. You're like, this is how you should do it. Um, but then the Bible, there's a, there's a heart part of it <laughs> that, you know, that it is, you need to know it, but the, that you need to live it out, and that's, we're going to look at that, both of those. But when you think about the Bible, you know, I, I, probably today I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know already. Um, maybe it's going to be a reminder, maybe, hopefully it'll open your eyes, maybe, like a lot of us, you know, we know the Bible is true, and we glance at it once in a while, maybe we, talk, we read a scripture now and then, but the idea of knowing the Bible and knowing the Word of God is, is important. It's, it's important because I think in today and age, a lot of people just don't know. I was reading this thing by Albert Moeller. He's the, he is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he writes this. He says, the scandal of biblical illiteracy, in our, it, it's our problem. He says, while American evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldviews, rejects the biblical Christianity... We ought to give some urgent attention to the problem much closer to home. Biblical illiteracy in the church. He says, this scandalous problem is our own, and it's up to us to fix it. He says, researchers George Gallup and Jim Castelli put the problem squarely. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Researchers tell us that it's worse than most could imagine. Fewer than half, all, half of all adults can name, uh, fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to the data from Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans, can 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. The bottom line, increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Multiple surveys, the problem is the stark terms. According to 81% of Christians, God helps those who help themselves believe that's a Bible verse. Some of the statistics are enough to perplex even those aware of the problem. A Barna poll indicates that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. The larger scandal is biblical ignorance among Christians. Choose whichever statistic or survey you like. 
The general pattern is the same. American Christians know less and less about the Bible, and it shows. Many who identify themselves as Christians are similarly confused about the gospel itself. An individual who believes that God helps those who help themselves will find salvation by grace and justification by faith to be alien concepts. This really is our problem, and it's up to us, this generation of Christians, to reverse course. Recovery starts at home. Parents are to be the first and the most important educators of their own children, diligently teaching them the Word of God. Parents cannot franchise the responsibility to the congregation, no matter how faithful and biblical it may be. God assigned parents to uh, this non-negotiable responsibility, and children must see their Christian parents as teachers and fellow students of God's Word. This generation must get deadly serious about the problems of biblical illiteracy, or if Frighteningly large number of Americans, Christians included, will go on thinking that Sodom and Gomorrah lived happily ever after. Biblical illiteracy is, is a problem. I mean, in the days, we, we, people just don't know. And so today we're going to focus a little bit on Scripture, if we can. And so will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word that you give us. And this, over and over again, you want us to know it. Over and over again, you ask us to meditate it and to think about it and to, and to process it. And you want us to know what you think. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we take a look at some scripture, that, that we would be encouraged, that we would be inspired, that, that we would go, you know, maybe I need to open my Bible. Maybe I need to open and read it. Maybe I need to... Th- to look more intently at it. And so, Lord, I pray that for us today that we, as we look at your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was, I think I was in elementary school or middle school, I, uh, my dad got a new lawnmower. Uh, he was, he had this front thrower lawnmower for a long years that I used to mow the lawn with. It was, I think it was a Briggs and Stratton. And my mom decided to get him a new one. It was one of those side thrower Toro mowers. And we kind of got head in the backyard, and we were trying to start this thing. And it was one of those ones where the cord comes up to the handle. And so I know you guys know how to use these these days, and I know how to use them too, but back then they were new. And we weren't sure because it used to, like, you just pull it right from the engine. You pull the, the, the starter, and it would start it up. Well, this thing's up here now, and we're sitting there trying to yank on this thing, my dad and I, and... He can't do it. He said, let me try, and I can't do it. And we're trying to figure out what the problem is because it's not, we can't pull it to start it. And so we're looking and trying to figure it out. And then we look down at the bottom and say, maybe this thing needs to retract back into the engine so that we can pull it out. But there's this little metal piece there making it so that it wouldn't go back in. And so we're looking at it. And and we're now out there probably 45 minutes trying to figure this thing out. I got the pliers out, and I start gnawing away at this at this little metal piece. And before I could get it off, my mom comes out. And she's been in the house reading instructions. <laughs> and so she comes out and she's like, I think you need to push that handle there. You push that handle, it'll pull. We're like, that's stupid. I've never seen such a thing. And so you guys know that on those type of lawnmowers, you push the handle and it pulled out and it, and it started. Luckily, I didn't get that thing gnawed off. But, but we were given instructions how to do this thing, but we decided not to read them. A lot of us are like that with our Christian faith. We're given an instruction manual. We're given this thing of who God is, what he's about, how much he loves us, but we decide just to wing it and kind of go for it. 
and live life just, we'll figure it out. Maybe that guy up on the stage will tell us. Someone will tell us how to live this thing out. Because I don't have time to figure out and read an instruction manual. I got them all on. Well, today we're going to be, I want to look at uh, 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, we're going to start at. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. And he's talking to him about, he's giving him instructions. In verse 14 he says, But as for you, talking to Timothy, and what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And he's talking about himself. Paul's saying, you've learned it from me. And so how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's talking to Timothy and he's saying, you know, You've learned some stuff from me. We've been hanging out together, but I know who you are. I know the family that you came from. I know that it is what the custom is, and the, the Jewish custom is that you've, because in Jewish custom is they started sitting kids down at five years old and instructing them from Scripture. Parents did. That was just in every Jewish home. That was customary for that to happen. And so Paul knows this, and he says, I know you've learned from the sacred writings. Now, the sacred writings he's talking about is, is, the, is the Holy Bible. He's talking about the Torah, and he's talking about the Old Testament. He said, I know that you guys have sat down, and you've read that, and you've been instructed in that. And so here, Paul, here Timothy is. He, Paul didn't have to think twice about it because he knew where he came from. He knew that he knew the word. He knew what it was about. And so he goes on in verse 16, and he says to him, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so he says to, says to Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. Is breathed out by God, at least in this. Some of you guys might have the NIV and it says it's breathed. But it's it basically he's saying all scripture is coming from God's mouth. Now, if you're sitting there and you're a scholar, you're like, well, yeah, Mike, he's talking about the Old Testament. You're reading New Testament. But if you research and you do your studies, you realize they're talking about the word, these are the word from God. And so he's saying to, he's saying to Timothy, he's, telling, he's instructing him. He says, I know that you know the writings. I know that you've been instructed in the writings. I know we've spent a lot of time together. And so here's the deal is, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by him. Now, if you turn over to, to 1 Timothy, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. 4, 6, Paul's telling him in the, his first letter to him, to Timothy, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith of the good doctrine that you have followed. And then down in verse 13, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, exhortation exhortation and teaching. And so if you think about this first, he said all scripture is actually God speaking to you. All scripture is as if God's talking. John Piper says, if you want to know what God says, read the Bible. Then he goes on, he says, if you want to hear God say it, read it out loud. You know, you think about that for a second, and it's like, you know, you have the Bible, and how often when you read the Bible do you feel that God's speaking to you? That it's like, you know, this is God talking to me. I think a lot of times we might read it and go, hey, that's for me. I, I, need, I needed to hear that. But when the Scripture itself tells you that it's God talking to you, 
And it's like, why do we not read it more? It goes on, he, tells, he says to Timothy, he says, this is what the scripture is good for. He says it's, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so the first thing he tells them, he says, you know, it's, it's profitable for teaching. You know, the, here's the thing is, is that a lot, the thing I read at the beginning by Albert Moeller is that we have trouble with sound doctrine, that we're illiterate, we don't understand the scripture. And he's telling Timothy, if you, if you just read the scripture, it's good, for knowing sound, it's good for knowing sound doctrine. Over in Romans 12, guys, I'm going to start with verse 11. Paul saying this, he says, Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He says, How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable is his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. And then verse 12, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore. And so he says, therefore, for, therefore, because God is who he is, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says in verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind. And so if you're transformed by the renewal of your mind, he goes on and says this. He says that by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so if you want to know what the will of God is, read the word. He says, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this idea, that one of the things that the scripture is good for is it's good for teaching you. The second thing that he says in there, he says it's, it's good for reproof, which is to convict now, or reprimand. And now, a lot of times we don't want to read the Bible because of that exact thing, right? <laughs> we don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be convicted. And Psalms, Psalms 119 says... 119, you ever have a chance to read something? It's all about meditating and reading the Word of God. But 119.24 says, Your testimonies are my delight. And so he's talking about his Word. He says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselor. And so this idea that the Word of God is your counselor. The Word of God is instructing, is an instruction to you. And so when we say about convicting, it's not there to be this bad guy to throw things down. You're doing it wrong. It's just to say, hey, this is the way of God. This is the way that Scripture helps you understand. If you're going this direction, it's like, hey, baby, convicting you, that's not the right direction. You should go this direction. And it's not a horrible thing. It's a thing just to help us. And, verse, and then the next thing he says, what is it profitable? It's profitable for correction. It's just to set you right again, to become correct, to, to just to have sound doctrine. Uh, Proverbs 22, 17 and 19, 17 through 19, says... Uh, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you if all of them are ready on your lips. And so having the word of God on your lips to understanding it, the word of God, the scripture he's saying to Timothy, he says it's good for teaching you. It's good for showing you the right way and, it, and to, to, to set you right again so that you can get on the right path. And then this, the last thing he says to him there about the scripture, it's good for training in righteousness. 
that same word for training in righteousness, the same word that's in Ephesians 6, 4, when we went through that, I don't know, a couple months ago, when uh, it's talking about training your child. Um, in the, they're in ch- chapter 6 of Ephesians, basically that same idea, that it's this idea that you're guiding your child. And so the, the scripture is guiding us and helping us to live and to live a disciplined life, to live a holy life. You know, Joshua 1, 8 says, it says, uh, it says this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according, you be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your, your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And so the idea that the idea of the scripture is there to train us. And so he goes on in verse 17, and he says to Timothy, he says to him, he says, he says, all this stuff the scripture is good for, he said that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, some of your translations, I, I have the ESV, and one of my translations, I have two translations, one says competent, and the other one says complete. But they're all kind of getting after the same idea that you'll be proficient, that you'll be sufficient, that you'll be completely qualified uh, to, 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 to handle the Word of God. Now, you think about that, you think about that for a second. You, you kind of want someone that's competent, right? I mean, if you go to the doctor, you want someone that's competent. If you go to a mechanic, you want a competent mechanic. If you call a plumber, you want them to be competent. But how are they competent? Because they've learned their trade. And he's talking to Timothy here, and he's talking to us too. He says, the scripture's there to make us competent so that we know what we're talking about. So when we're talking about, when we're talking about the Lord, we know what, what's going on. And so he says to make us competent and equipped. We spend all kinds of time trying to be competent. We spend all kinds of time trying, trying to equip ourselves. I coached football at the high school for the last two years, and I'm not doing it this year. And a big reason for it is this, is that it just takes time. I mean, we practice Monday through Thursday, and then on Friday you have a game, and it's pretty much all day Friday because you're getting prepared. And then after you, for us, after we lost the game, um, Saturday you spent the day breaking down film to see what you did wrong, and you can imagine we did a lot wrong, so there's a lot more to break down and a lot more time. And you're breaking down film to see what you did wrong, and then you come together the next day with the coaches, and you did so much wrong, so the meetings are really long, so you had to figure out how to make everything right. And so then you go to Monday, you, go to, you show the kids what they did wrong, and then you put them back on the field and do it again. All for a dumb football game. And you think about the t- amount of time that we put in trying to equip and trying to be competent in football. How many other things do we try to be equipped and competent in? And what, it's getting, what he's saying to Timothy here is like, read the word so that you'll be competent and so that you'll be equipped, so that you'll know how to handle life, so you know what's going on. And so at the end of the day here is this really simple, is that we kind of know that the Bible what it is. I think I don't think many of us will argue that God's speaking to us through the scripture. I don't think many of us would deny that. But at the end of the day, and we know that it instructs us, we know all these things. But the hardest part about it is just doing it. 
And so you think about this for a second. You know, he's telling Timothy is you got to get into Scripture so that you're competent. And it's used for all these things. And so and it's important because in 2 Timothy, if you read down in chapter 4, verse 3, he says this. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from their listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He says there will come a time. Do you think the time has come? And the problem is with us is that we're not exactly sure, and the reason there's so many different directions is because we don't <laughs> read the Word. We don't really know what it says, and so when someone says something to us, we're like, yeah, that sounds good. Sounds like God. It sounds like what it should be. And we're not exactly sure because we don't read the word and we don't know. We're not competent and we're not equipped. And I can tell you, how do you become competent and how you become equipped? It just takes time. And so my challenge to you for a minute in the midst of this thing is the first thing I want to say to you is this. You need to find a time. If I was to say, I mean, we did a survey in this room, do you read your Bible daily? Do you, do you want to hear from God? If you're a Christian, I don't know about you, but I want to hear from God daily. I want to know. And so if you want to be competent and equipped, you got to, number one, you think you got to do is find, find time. Anything that's important to you, you find a time, right? You, you go to work, you're going to go visit your grandchildren, you're going to find a time. You're going to mark the time. If you're going to, whatever it is, you're, if you, food, we have times for food, right? You, each one of us has a time for breakfast, you have a time for lunch, you have a time for dinner. Do you have a time for God? And what is that time? You know, everybody's effective in different ways and we have different times. You know, some people are morning people. Um, they get up early in the morning and, they, and that's, that's kind of me. The Bible says Jesus did that. But if they talk to other people, they're like, you know, I'd rather do night. <laughs> I'm a nighttime person. Aaron, I think Aaron's a nighttime guy. He's like, I, give me 12 o'clock any time of the day. When we're trying to schedule meetings with Aaron, he's like, can we do midnight? <laughs> like, he's like, you could do midnight. <laughs> But you've got to find a time. And the other thing is, is you've got to have a plan. You've got to know what you're doing. You gotta, you know, I think a lot of times what happens is we start the week off, or we, we think hey, we, we, this morning, you're like, you know what, I probably should read the Bible. I think I'm going to do it in the morning. And then the morning you get up and you're like, what should I read? I don't even know what to read. But having a plan. What's your plan? What are you going to do? I mean, what, what is it that you're reading? I think we've got to know. Number one, I mean, there, it's amazing how fast you can get through the scripture if you just did it. I was reading, this is not something I tested out on anybody, but it, I read something that says, in five minutes a day, we'll take you through the Bible in three years. Something else, if you read three chapters a day and five on Sunday, you'll get through the Bible in a year. Now, reading it just to read the Bible, that's, I mean, you need to apply it, but we'll get to that later. But you got to have a plan for yourself. I know for myself, I've, had, I've gone through different seasons. My wife and I, we've read through the one-year Bible and sat down and read through it. But we found that, you know, we'd miss it for a week or two weeks, and all of a sudden it was like we were jamming through the Bible trying to get through it, and then it became like we were mad. <laughs> so I was like, that's probably not good. <laughs> you know, another thing that you could do, we have life journals. Life journal has, if you read, if it has a reading plan in here. If you can get through the Bible in one year, but you know, it's not getting through the Bible a year. That's not the, that's not the idea. The idea is reading it and starting somewhere. 
You know, some people like to have a little bit of Old Testament and a little bit of New Testament. That's some people. Some people want to be in just one book because they can't concentrate more than one thing at a time. But you just need to figure it out what it is for you. I know for myself, I was going Old Testament and New Testament. I was like, I just need the New Testament. I just, I'm going to go through one book. I can't do two because I, I wanted to focus. And so it could be that you go through, right now we're not in a book necessarily here, but we're going through Ephesians and we're probably going to go through some more books, go through whatever we're going through, but you've got to have a plan and know what you're doing. You know, here's the thing is, if the scripture is true and that all scripture is breathed out by God, um, not only for yourself, but for, if you have children in your home, I mean, you, you get to teach them. I can tell you for myself, I, I, I am constantly doing things for my children. I'm taking them places. I took one of them to Climate Falls on Thursday to play in a baseball tournament. My wife drove to Eugene today to take my daughter to Eugene so she can go to Steens this week for a week. And we planned out, we've been planning all week for that. And we plan and we plan and we plan things out for our children, but do you plan, you make them go to school, you make them do their writing, you make them go to classes, but do you make them read the Bible? You sit down because you have time with your kids and take time with your kids. I know for ourselves, I, it was about a year and a half ago, I'm like, these kids are in high school now. <laughs> They're going to high school, and, I have, and, and we get so busy and going different directions that we don't stop. And so I said, for now on, we're getting up for breakfast, and we're going to get together. We're, we start reading at the table together. And then we, we, we're go, we have, uh, I don't know if you guys have apps on your phones, but we have this thing called Version, and it has reading plans, and so we go through them together and read together. But you get to, you, I get to do that, and I need to do that. And as parents, sometimes we let that go, and all of a sudden you look up, your kids are gone, and the Bible wasn't that important. Some of you here sitting here are grandparents. You're like, you know, Mike, that's good. I wish I would have did that. That would have been a good thing. But if you're sitting here as a grandparent, I could tell you if my dad every morning called my oldest daughter during school year and would read a verse to her. And, she, and he made her get out a, a white card <laughs> and write down the verse. And she had a stack of cards of verses. Um, I, didn't know. I didn't know he did that. And whew, that jacks me up. But you, can, you, get, you get to do stuff. What's important to you? Is the Bible important to you? You get to, under, you get to figure it out. And the thing of it is, if you're sitting here, you're a Christian, and if we believe what Paul is saying to Timothy, that all the Scripture is breathed out by God, it's God speaking to us. And we're wondering what God's will is. God's will is right here in the Word. He's speaking to us, and we don't have to go far. We can read it. Now, you, you might be here, and you're like, well, Mike, I'm, I don't know. I I've tried to read it, and I don't get it. <laughs> you know, R.C. Sproul says this. He says, here then is the real problem of our negligence, he says. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand and not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. He says, our problem is a lack, isn't a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is we are lazy. And at the end of the day, I can tell you for myself, when I'm not, I'm lazy. And, I, and it, the thing of it is, you, th you think about a group of people this size, I'm reading their Bible daily, seeking God out daily, listening to God daily, how it transforms you and how it would change you and change how you, your perspective on life, change how you see things, change how you respond to people. Because it says 
the Word of God is useful for what? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. I didn't say this to you at the beginning. I had it in my notes. I forgot to say it to you. But Donald Whitney, who writes one of the spiritual disciplines, says that there's no greater discipline than reading the Bible. Of all the disciplines there are, it's the one that God's speaking at us and speaking to us. So a couple things. I want to give you just three things. If you're reading the Bible, a couple things to think about. Is, is number one is, is comprehension. We, we have to comprehend it. I know in these life journals, if you get these things, they have this thing called soap, and it's like it put down the scripture, and then it says observation, application, and then a prayer. But I would say to you, observation is, you know, that's a good idea to observe it. But what we're really asking, and what you really need to do is comprehend what it's saying, because God's speaking. You know, for us to observe is like, hey, it's this thing over there. It's not to, to observe, it's to comprehend. And so I encourage you to comprehend it, to read it. If you only have 10 minutes a day, read the scripture for five, read the scripture for five minutes, go back and read it for five minutes again. But to comprehend it and so that you know what it's saying, that you read it carefully, that you read it repeatedly, that you read it patiently, and that you do it purposefully so that you understand it. And so comprehending it, and the second thing is to interpret it as you read it. Whenever you're reading something is to ask questions about it. You're determining what's the meaning of it. That you go back and you look at the context, you look at the verses, and you say, you know, this is what it's trying to say. And you're trying to interpret who wrote it, when they wrote it, where, who are they writing it to, who was this book going to. And so these are some good things for you. you know, who was writing it? Uh, who is he writing it to? What's the central idea of the passage? When you see these words like therefore, or nevertheless, but, as, like, to pay attention to them because they're connecting words. I read that in Romans today. Do you remember? It says, this is who God is. He's really incredible. Therefore, uh, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll know the will of God. Ask yourself the five W's. So who is it? What? When? Where? Why? And how? And kind of pay attention. Now, you could be sitting here going, you know, I just don't care anymore. Maybe it's just too much. You know, another thing, we have, there's all kinds of ways to learn about the Bible. This last week at the middle school camp, they went through the Bible project. Got the Bible project trying to explain the Bible. And I want to give you one of them right here. It's a few minutes to watch this. The Bible is a collection of many books, telling one unified story from beginning to end. But all those books were written in different literary styles. Yeah, think of it like walking into a bookstore where every aisle has a different kind of literature. There's history or poetry or nonfiction. And when you choose an aisle and pick up a book, you're going to have very different expectations, different things that you're looking for. Right, they're all literature, but they communicate in really different ways. Yes, and so the same thing is true for the Bible. If you don't pay attention to what style it's written in, you will miss out on the brilliance of each book. So, what are the main types of literature in the Bible? Well, first and foremost is narrative. It makes up a whopping 43% of the Bible. After that is poetry, which is 33% of the Bible. And then there's what you could call prose discourse, which makes up the remaining 24%. Nearly half the Bible is narrative. Yes, and this is no accident. Stories are the most universal form of human communication. Our brains are actually hardwired to take in information through stories. And stories are really enjoyable. 
Why is that? Well, stories train us to make sense of the seemingly random events that happen in life by taking those events and then putting them in a sequence. And then together you can start to see the meaning and purpose of it all. And what links this all together? Well, good stories always have a character who wants something. And then through these characters, an author can explore life's big questions like who are we or what's really important in life. And a good story always involves some kind of conflict. Some challenge to overcome, just like in our own lives. And that forces us to think about our own challenges. Why there's so much pain or disappointment in the world, and then what can we do about it? And stories usually end with some kind of resolution, giving us hope for our own stories. Since these are Bible stories, are the characters showing me how I should live? Yeah, that's not quite the point. Most Bible characters are deeply flawed. You should not be like them. But we are supposed to see ourselves in them, which helps us then see our lives and failures from a new perspective. And without even realizing it, these stories will start to mess with you and change how you see the world and other people and yourself. Now, there are different types of narrative in the Bible. Yeah, there's historical narrative, but also narrative parables, short biographical narratives like the four gospels. We'll look at all these in later videos. Okay, next up is poetry, which honestly, I don't read a lot of. Yeah, you're like most people. But one out of every three chapters in the Bible is poetry. Yeah, why so much poetry? Well, poems mainly speak through dense, creative language, linking together images to help us envision the world differently. Poems use lots of metaphor to evoke your emotions and your imagination. Lots of fancy language, but wouldn't it be easier just to tell me what I need to know? Well, think about it. In life, we tend to form mental ruts, and we think in these familiar, well-worn paths that are very hard to get out of through logic or reasoning. And what good poetry does is force you off the familiar path into new territory. Sneaky. And there's different types of poetry in the Bible. There's lots of types of songs or psalms. There's the reflective poetry of the wisdom books, and then the passionate resistance poetry of the prophets. Okay, the last big literary type is called prose discourse, and it makes up a quarter of the Bible. Yeah, these are speeches, letters, or essays. And the focus here is building a sequence of ideas or thoughts into one linear argument that requires a logical response. Like, hey, have you thought about this thing? You should also consider how it connects to this other thing. And if you do, then you will see that this is the result. And in light of that conclusion, therefore, you should probably stop doing that one thing so that this other thing will be the outcome. So you're persuading me with reason. Yeah, discourse forces you to think logically and consistently and then do something about it. Biblical discourse is found in law collections, in wisdom literature, and the letters written by the apostles. Okay, so each book of the Bible has one literary style. No, actually most books have a primary literary style, like narrative for example, but then embedded in the narrative you'll come across poems or parables or a collection of laws. Every biblical book is a unique combination of literary styles. And to read that book well I need to be familiar with each literary type and how it works. Yeah, so you know what to pay attention to and what questions you should ask. But before we look at each type, there's one more unifying feature of biblical literature that's really important and really cool, and that's what we'll explore next. It's, uh, you might go over your head, but I think these, these middle schoolers picked it up this week, and the idea of you're kind of there, you're like, you want to know more about the Bible, you, you got to understand, and until you know, until you trust what the scripture has to say, you're going to have trouble living it out. 
And that's the last thing is application, is that we've got to comprehend it, we've got to interpret it. And when we interpret it and we understand it, then the application comes. It's like anything in life. You know, you talk about relationships, you meet somebody. If you don't trust them, you don't trust them, right? But it's the, it's the time that you spend together and get to know each other. All of a sudden, you get to know and then you trust. It's the same thing with your relationship with God. A lot of us have trouble trusting God because, yeah, we believe that he went to the cross and he died. But at the end of the day, we don't trust him ultimately because we don't know him. And we don't know his character because we haven't read and we haven't comprehended. We haven't interpreted now, when you read the Word of God, what's going to happen to you is, is the, the Holy Spirit's going to take over it and it's going to show you, it's going to make you understand. But at the end of the day, you know, the Word of God is there for you to understand and comprehend, but then to live it out. And the last scripture I have for you is James chapter, chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 22. It says, but be, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Our idea is to, to, to comprehend the word, to read it, to understand it, and then to apply it and do it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that, that is you speaking to us. And I think as I sit here today, and it's, the idea is just to, to encourage us to say, you know what, we need to read the word. We need to understand it. we got to look at it. And it's there for guidance on our daily walk. And so, Lord, I pray for us today that, that this is something that if we're here today and we're like, hey, you know what, i got to give, I just pray there's an encouragement for someone to, to open the book and to read it and to get back and be connected to you so that we can be competent and that we can be equipped to do the work that you have for us. So, Father, I pray that we can pick up this discipline of if it's gone away and that we can live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.